Welcome to worship today. If you're part of the online campus, welcome as well. We're in a series called The Hard Sayings of Jesus. Right after the Beatitudes, Jesus talks about seven hot topics. And we're on topic number five today, and that is, what do you do when you've been wounded in a relationship? Matthew chapter five, we'll be looking at verses 38 through 43. And I'll read that in just a moment, but here's the question this morning. What do you do when you've been wounded relationally. When somebody's let you down, when somebody's betrayed you, when somebody's talked behind your back, when somebody said that they were going to do something for you and they didn't do it, they promised you something and didn't come through. So Holly, every message that I preach is always Holly approved. You know what I'm talking about, right? Saturday night, I'm reading through my message and she says, no, don't say that. And then quickly I'm rewriting, you know what I mean? So she said yesterday, um, so what are you preaching on? I told her, she goes, oh, that'll be a good topic that everybody will be able to relate to. And then that got us talking about the wounds that we have experienced. In a church in a different state, years ago, Holly walked into the women's bathroom, walked into the stall, that's as far as I'm going to go, and while she was in the stall, two other women from the church walked in and started talking about Holly. How they think that she wore the same dress last week. <laughs> and how she talks funny. She has an East Coast accent. I didn't know the East Coast had an accent. They thought she did. And how she just didn't fit in our church. Ladies washed their hands, walked out, and Holly was just sitting in the stall going, well, what do I do with that? I told her she should have just walked right out, right in the middle of it. But that's just me being ornery. Several years ago, in a church that I was pastoring, a core ministry leader purposely misrepresented a conversation that he and I had that resulted in a church split and 75 people walking away from the church. And it took two years for what I had said to come out and to be vindicated. But there had been so much damage done by that time. You know what I'm talking about, right? What do you do when you've been betrayed, when your trust has been broken? When you've been wounded, when somebody said that they would never do this and they ended up doing it, what do you do with that? Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42 says these words. I'm going to ask you to stand, would you please? 
The reason why I typically ask you to stand when it's going to be one of those days, people, (laughs) is because what we're really saying is what God's word has to say is way more important than what a particular person has to say. So we all kind of have to get under the authority of God's word. Amen. Amen. Romans, uh, Romans, Matthew chapter five, verse 38, Jesus words, you have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Holy Spirit, these are challenging words that we need to figure out how to apply in our everyday life. Would you give us wisdom and most of all your Holy Spirit to help us to figure out what Jesus had to say when we're wounded. And Jesus, it's for your glory that we're spending the next few moments looking at your words to figure out how we can become more like you and get a little bit closer to you. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Okay, these are some of the most challenging scriptures in all the Bible because they are so easily misunderstood and they are so hard to actually live out. So let me give you a little bit of context. Number one. These verses are primarily to be applied to our personal relationships. Our family, our friendships, our neighbors, people that we have a relationship with, this is a relational tool to help us when we are wounded in our relationships. This is not having to do with ignoring local, state, or federal laws. In other words, Christians are under the laws of the land and we are to uphold the laws of the land, which is to say that you have rights under the law and you should or could at least fulfill those rights under the law. Just let me give you a quick example. Somebody broadsides you, your car, right, and then takes off. And you're like, oh, I can't believe he or she did that. And you happen to catch the license plate or the police are able to track down this person that's a hit and run. And, you know, you read, you know, you, you read these, these verses that I've just shared with you and you say to yourself, well, sh- should, I, should I press charges? Should I get this person to pay? Or should I just kind of just do nothing and take on all the responsibility for myself? No, you have rights in that sense of 
state, local, and federal rights. Even the Apostle Paul used his Roman citizenship to his advantage several times when there was an unruly mob. He said, hey, you can't strike me. You can't you know, do things that you're doing to me because I'm a Roman citizen, okay? So you just kind of have to understand the bigger picture here is really addressing our personal relationships, okay? The second thing has to do with the fact that mostly these verses deal with the posture of our heart. What does that mean? Must we always insist on retribution or is there a better way? The questions that we ought to be asking ourselves in our personal relationships and the broader perspective is as we work our way through life is what is the most loving thing that needs to be done in this situation? It's really Jesus is talking about the posture of the heart in which I think in the next few moments you'll begin to see this unfold. So here's the question. What do you do when somebody wounds you? There's two don'ts and one do. So let's begin. First of all, don't try to get even. It doesn't solve anything and it only escalates the problem. Verse 38 and 39, you have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek as well. So the Old Testament law, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, was actually, you ready for this? It was actually a law of mercy. It doesn't sound like it. But it was, and here's why. Back in ancient days, I'm talking about, you know, Jesus' days, Old Testament days, OT days. When somebody did you wrong, you went OT on them. <laughs> like wrath of God. But the Mosaic law said, you can't do that. If somebody steals your cow... You get their cow. If somebody punches your teeth out, you can take their teeth out. And it's a law of mercy because and no more. Is it not true? I know this is within me, so it has to be within you. Is it not true that when you're wounded, offended, when somebody says something that's hurtful to you, there's a part of you that wants to say back to them the same level or just a little bit more? Somebody raises their voice to you, what do you do? You raise your voice, plus. Somebody gives you an insult, what do you, what's inside of you? You want to give them an, oh yeah, well, what about this? And then you say that, and then a little bit more. There's something inside of us that always wants to ratchet it up. And before you know it, you're throwing things that you got at your anniversary or for your, you know, your, your wedding um, shower, and you're just like going all OT on each other. Jesus says, stop, there's a better way. Don't retaliate because it never really works. I know a woman who found out that her husband was on a dating chat website and was chatting with other women. She was deeply wounded. 
that her married husband is talking on this dating site with other women. So you know what her solution was? She opened up her own chat room and started talking with other men. Because she was trying to prove to her husband that she was still attractive and that she was still worthy of other men's attention. Now, do you think that that made any difference with her husband? No. And to this day, to my knowledge, this couple continues to find new ways to hurt each other and to wound each other. Jesus is simply saying, retaliation never works. Don't try to get even. Don't ratchet it up. When somebody says something that's a wound to you, don't hit back. It just never works. Number two, don't focus on your rights. Don't focus on your rights. So you know how every once in a while you have a little pop of insight and you go, oh, I never thought about that before. I had one of those this week. So here I'm going to give you my little pop of insight and see if it rings true to you. I think most of our relational woundedness comes from four words. It is not fair. That's it. 99.9% .9 of our relational woundedness, it isn't fair. Think about it. Think about every wound that you've, that, that you've had inflicted on you. You say to yourself, well, that's not fair. That wasn't fair that he said that. That was a below the belt. That's not fair that I got low, let go from my job. That's not fair that she did that. And you know, you're right. It probably wasn't fair. But that sums up Jesus' life, doesn't it? Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and 7 says, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and took on the humble position as a slave. What people said about and did to Jesus was not fair. But Jesus gave up his rights for a higher purpose. In my devotions yesterday, I came across a verse of scripture that I'm sure I've read before, but have you ever had one of those moments where scripture just pops out and you go, oh, that was for me. Here's the scripture that popped out to me yesterday. Isaiah 30, verse 18. This is the Lord speaking to, to Israel, but speaking to us. I long to be gracious to you. I will rise up to show you compassion. For I am the God of justice. Blessed are you when you wait for me. God sees 
every unfair thing that's been said or done to you. And there's something inside of us that says, that's not fair. And we demand our rights. And what Isaiah is telling us is this. God says to you, I am the God of justice. You never have to worry about your rights. I've got you covered. You just wait for me. Because though it looks like you're being trampled on at this given moment, if you'll lean into me, if you'll rest in me, I am a gracious God and I know how to do justice. So you know what Jesus says? Jesus gives three practical examples of what it means to give up our rights. First, give up your right to your stuff. Verse 40, if you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. Now, this is a little confusing because we don't even know what this means. But back in Jewish law, you could sue somebody for your clothes, your, your inner garments, like your clothes. But, but it limited suing somebody to get their coat. Their coat was considered necessary for weather protection. So the law court said that, you know, you could get somebody's clothes, but you couldn't get their outer cloak because that was meant for protection. Now, many of you and me with shoes have way more than what we really need. If we were to walk into our closets, we would see clothes packed in. Shoes, way more than the two feet that we need. Jewelry and belts and all kinds of things that we wear. Well, back in ancient days, that was a, a form of income. In other words, if, if you owed somebody a lot of money, they could sue and they could take, you know, X amount of clothes that would have a comparable price, okay? Now, in giving this extreme example, though, Jesus is saying something about our stuff. Giving up our rights to our stuff really means recognizing that we actually don't own anything. We are actually given those things by God for a season to steward over them. So what does this mean? This means that your stuff really isn't your stuff. You're simply a steward of your stuff. So, that means if you have an extra car and you know someone who needs a car for a season, a loving thing to do would be to say, I have an extra car and I notice that you don't have a car in this season. Would you like to use my car until you get a car? Or I'll give you my car. Because remember, as radical as this is, your stuff isn't your stuff. God gave you your stuff. Or if you have more food than you need, and you know of someone who is food insecure, taking from your great amount and giving to someone who doesn't have enough. If you have more clothes than you need, giving to someone who could actually benefit from more clothes. We literally do this when we go to Kenya in our work and witness trip for Kenya's kids. For those of you who have been on a work and witness trip, 
to Kenya's kids, you'll know that most of the time we pack our suitcases full of clothes and then we come back with empty suitcases. I purposely bring suits that are a little too tight and I pack them in because I know that there's several ministers over there because in Kenya they always preach in suits even if it's 95 degrees. I'm in a suit preaching my heart out in 95 degrees and I'm just like sweats just pouring down my face and everybody else is wearing a suit if they're a pastor. So I come back with an empty suitcase because I have way more than I really need. But there's other places that don't have near enough. Now, what does all this have to do with woundedness? Simply this. How many times has a friendship been strained or broken over things? A friend uses a tool and breaks it. And they say they're sorry, but they don't offer to replace it. And so now they've handed back the tool and you're like, okay, now I got to go out and buy. Or a friend borrows money promising to pay it back, but they actually don't pay it back. And it's a source of wounding to you. But what if you took the mindset, Jesus, what if you took the mindset that your stuff isn't your stuff and you did it to the best of your ability, you had a good heart, you gave your stuff away and somebody wounded you because they broke what you had or they didn't promise, they promised one thing but they didn't end up doing it. But what if you took the attitude of, well, it wasn't my stuff to begin with. Now, a little bit of wisdom here. Remember I said in the beginning, the biggest question that you and I ought to be asking ourselves is, what is the most loving thing in any particular situation. So Jesus is not saying you ought to bless irresponsibility. You know, there are some people that have a lifestyle of irresponsibility and they'll just take advantage of you and everybody else that they can. Jesus is not saying that. Jesus is talking about a legitimate need here. Sometimes the most loving thing that you can do for people who have a, a lifestyle of irresponsibility is to say no because you're trying to help them to see that you're not an ATM. And some of the most loving things that you can do is sometimes to hold people to accountability because you know if you don't, nobody else is going to do it and they're just going to continue down that pathway of irresponsibility. So I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about taking a heart posture that says my stuff really isn't my stuff anyway. It's really the Lord's. Second, give up your right to your time. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for one mile, carry it for two miles. Okay, what does that mean? Remember, Israel was an occupied country by the Roman Empire. So here's the way it worked. There was a law that said a Roman soldier, now you've, you've all seen military movies where these, you know, the army people, they're carrying like a hundred pound pack. They've got all their gear with them. Well, same way in Roman times. So there was a law that said if a Roman soldier came up to you and said, here, carry my pack, you must carry it one mile. So imagine if you're going from Nazareth to Galilee, it's like a 70-mile journey. You could Every mile you could get a citizen to carry your pack so you didn't have to carry it at all. And it caused so much 
anger, so much bitterness in the Jewish culture that at any moment a Roman soldier could just say, carry my pack. And you're like, I'm carrying my own stuff. They didn't care. You'd have to pick it up and you'd have to carry it a mile. You know what Jesus says? Flip it. Carry it two miles. Go above and beyond. You know what Jesus is saying? Your time isn't really your time. It's his time. Give up your rights to your time. Because your time is not your own, sometimes Jesus will interrupt it and want you to do something that's inconvenient for you. How many of you have ever had the experience where out of the blue, a name has come to your mind and you thought, I ought to call that person. But you're so busy that you say, I don't want to take the time. Besides, that person likes to, you know, and I'm going to be 45 minutes on the phone and I only have five minutes and I don't want to. And so you just don't. You know what Jesus says? Your time isn't your time. Sometimes God gives us some divine appointments. Sometimes God brings people into your life that you know are going to take some time and effort that you really don't want to give to them because they're just not your person. This is not an excuse to waste time or not prioritize time. It is simply to say that if you give your time over to the Lord, there's going to be all kinds of second mile journeys that you're going to take that actually there'll be a blessing on the other side, but it won't feel like a blessing at that given moment. And then third, Jesus says, give up the right to your money. Verse 42, give to those who ask, don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Your money is not your money. That does not mean wasting money. It does not mean not having a budget or doing crazy things with debt. Christ's followers should be the best people on the planet handling money. But the purpose of financial margin is generosity. That's why Holly and I tithe 10% of our gross income. It's the first check we ever write. It's 10% to the church. That's why we give to global missions. In May, we're going to have a missionary speaker by the name of John Haynes. He was here a couple, weeks, a couple years ago. John's a great guy. He's been all over the world. He's going to talk to us about the bigger picture in global missions, and we'll have an opportunity to support global missions because it's not just about here. It's about the bigger picture of what God's doing around the world. But Holly and I support global missions. Holly and I generously support Eastern Nazarene College, our alma mater, but our regional college. And we do some other things as well. Jesus says, give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. He's talking about giving to a genuine, legitimate need, not to people who continually act in irresponsible ways. These three examples are simply practical examples of a bigger picture of a posture of surrendering your rights. So, let me just ask you, are there some rights that you think 
God is tapping on your shoulder to surrender. Maybe those three that have just been mentioned, maybe they don't do anything for you. But maybe there's other rights. Things that you think are just your right. For example, your right to a normal life. Most people I know just want to have a normal life, whatever normal is, right? You just want to have a normal life. And some of us don't have a normal life. There are unique circumstances that now our life is very different than somebody else's life and inwardly we're still chafing at it and we're still kind of resentful of the fact because it just isn't fair. You're right to be married. If you're single... It's very easy to fall into the trap of it's just not fair. I have so much love to give. How come God hasn't brought a spouse my way? I promised God I'd be the best spouse ever. Or you lost your spouse. They passed away. That's not fair. You're right. On this side of heaven, there's many things that aren't fair. The right to decent employment some are underemployed, some are not employed. And you say to yourself, that's just not fair. And the list could go on and on and on and on. You know, talking about relational breakdown, this is where a lot of Christians or a lot of people in our culture break down in their relationship with God. Because they're really saying to God, the hand that I've been dealt in life, it's just not fair. Fair. And God says to you, Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18, I am a gracious God to you, and I know what justice is, and I want you to wait on me because I know how to give justice when life is unfair. And there are some answers that are not coming to you at this moment, but they will come to you in 10 years. There are some answers that are not going to come to you on this side of heaven of why God allowed or didn't allow certain things to happen. But in heaven, all will be seen, all will be known, and you'll go, right. Why did I waste 40 years being mad at God? Or why did I hang on to my rights? when God had a different heart posture for me. One last thing, one do. There are two don'ts, there's one do. Do live a generous life of forgiveness and love. I love the way um, the message version explains verse 42. Literally it says, no more tit for tat stuff, live generously. Our world is filled with a lot of hate, and anger, violence, and disagreement. But Jesus calls us to live completely differently than that of our culture. And Jesus has a better way, and his better way is a generous life. A generous life of giving, a generous life of forgiving, a generous life of loving, a generous life of serving. And Jesus modeled this beautifully, right? Jesus says to the woman caught in the act of adultery, where are, your, where are the people who are condemning you? They're gone. 
Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus saw the thousands of people coming to him and instead of going, oh, good grief, Jesus said, come, come. I can do something about your pain. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Can I lay a truth on you that you may not have thought about? Most of the relational wounds that we experience are not malicious. Very few of the people who have deeply wounded us woke up thinking, I'm going to give a zinger to you today. Most people don't do that. There are some. We have to own that. There are some really difficult people in our lives. That's what next week is about, how to love difficult people. There are people who are out to get you. There are. But the vast majority of people are not. They don't know what they're doing. They're just dealing in their own pain. And out of their pain, they're paining other people. Out of their hurt, they're hurting other people. I'm probably going to say this next week because this is actually part one of a part two message. Today is about what not to do. Next week is about what to do. But the best book that I've ever read on relational woundedness and what to do about it is R.T. Kendall's book, Total Forgiveness. That's a book worth reading. And it flushes out all of the nuances of, yeah, but what about this? And yeah, but what about that? He does a masterful job. So what are you going to do with your pain? You can let it stay inside of you. You can say to yourself, that's not fair what they did to me. And you know what? You're actually probably right. It's not. But Isaiah 30, 18 says, we have a God who knows how to give justice. Give up your rights. Live a generous life. Don't slap back. Trust the process. And see what God is able to do when you release your woundedness over to him. So here's what I envision the next few moments. Three people are going to come up as the worship team is, is preparing to come up. One's going to stand over here. One's going to stand in the middle. One's going to stand over there. And they're going to have vials of oil for anointing. Now, for those of you who are new to our church, you're like, I have no idea what that, that, that means, right? Well, in our church, we believe that God still heals, Right? This is not just a New Testament thing. God really still heals. He heals physically. He heals emotionally. He heals spiritually. And so from time to time, we give opportunities just for God to work in that way. So if you want to come forward to be anointed with oil, that's out of, the, out of um, James' letter, talking about if anybody is sick among you, he should call the elders of the church, and they should lay hands on that person, anoint that person with oil, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. That's what that's about. 
If you want to come forward and just say, I need a healing. Maybe it's a physical healing, but maybe it's what I've been talking about today. Actually, what Jesus has been talking about. About relational woundedness. And you feel this deep woundedness inside your spirit and it's built up and it's just toxic for you. And you want to receive a healing today. You come forward. The person who's going to anoint you is just going to take a vial of oil, put a little bit of oil on his finger, put a cross on your forehead and pray over you and ask for God to heal you. That's all. And then you go back to your seat. I think God can heal you right there in your seats. I get that. But I also recognize that God heals in response to faith. And sometimes faith means getting up and taking a step forward and saying, I'm going to give God a shot. God, what do you want to do? So let's stand together. If those who are anointing will just come up at this time, just get in your places. I'm going to say a prayer. The worship team is going to come during their last song. If you just want to come forward and just have somebody pray over you for a healing of a deep wound that still has control over you, or wounds that have been piled up through the years and you just feel like I'm broken inside. You can find some help today through the Lord. Let's bow our heads. Holy Spirit, these next few moments are just pure you. So would you nudge some people to say today's your day take a step of faith release your rights and I can do something with that in Jesus name Amen